Hey everyone, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Engrave, maker of the coldest hardware wallet, Zero, and stainless steel backup graphene. Engrave brings you the highest security in a touchscreen experience to safely manage all your crypto offline. Enjoy a 10% Real Vision discount in Engrave.io shop with the code REALVISION. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. Does the jobs number paint the real picture? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Peter Bookfar, the Chief Investment Officer at the Bleakley Advisory Group, and now also a member of the RV Marketplace, which we are so excited about. Hi, Peter. Thank you, Maggie. Great to be here. So the great thing about your research and the work you do is that you really get under the hood of both the economic reports, the earnings reports. I mean, you look at this stuff in, in more detail than most people I know. So I'm excited interested to get your reaction to what was big news on both fronts, right? The U.S. non-farm payroll uh, number blew away expectations way stronger than anyone had anticipated, especially as we debate recession and Fed easing. And then on the earnings front, meta earnings way stronger than expected. Huge move in that stock today. The entire stock complex rallied uh, off the back of that S&P 500 at a record close. We saw treasury yields moving higher though. So we're going to unpack all of it. Let's start with the uh, data. What did you make of that jobs report? Maggie, I've been doing this for more than 30 years now, and I don't think I've ever been more confused about the economic picture as I am now. I mean, everything to me lined up for uh, just a mediocre hiring number, whether it was just the ADP report on Wednesday whether it's continuing claims that are near multi-year highs, whether it's the, the daily drumbeat of, of firings, even though you don't necessarily announce a hiring of all these firings, um, the, the employment component of manufacturing and services data, uh, everything's pointing to a moderation in hiring. And also, even this week, heard from Manpower reported earnings, Robert Half reported earnings. Uh, even Microsoft, when they talked about LinkedIn within their conference call, talked about a slowdown in hiring. And then all of a sudden you have this big upside surprise. But to complicate it even more is the household survey, the other side of the um, jobs calculation, that showed another decrease in jobs. Then you looked at hours worked, when if you don't include COVID, it was the lowest in 14 years. You have more people that are not working full time because of slack or they can't find full-time jobs. So it was rather a dizzying report. And I know that there was probably some seasonal adjustment issues that were benchmark revisions. I think there was a lot of noise here, but um, it definitely complicates the broad economic story, which itself had so many mixed signals that it was tough yeah. to figure out. Yeah, that's why we keep saying this is such a hard macro environment we're in. By the way, uh, I heard someone mention not only was this month strong, but they revised it was there were upward revisions to previous months. So that that sort of is, you know, again, if you're trying to say, OK, there's noise in this one, it it, it kind of goes against what we're hearing. And we've been seeing these layoff headlines, by the way. And I love you pulling in the feedback from these other reports that people are in the business of the employment market um, and anecdotally were the, were, 
you know, what they're saying about it. It's that it's exactly that kind of stuff that you do that I love. So it is. So what does the Fed do with this, Peter? We're confused. What about the Fed? Well, if you just look to Wednesday and listen to what Powell had to say, uh, you know, I think in a way Powell is wants to trim rates. And I say trim rather than cut because he's not looking to just slash interest rates because he doesn't need to. You know, inflation's on the downside. Growth is still pretty good. So there's no reason for him to slash interest rates like the markets are begging him to do. Yeah. But if he does, it's because the economy is probably weak. And if he doesn't, it's because the economy is hanging in. But he basically told us that they're not going to have enough information by the March meeting to cut interest rates. And certainly today's payroll number gives them no reason to cut. Um, but there are a lot of other cross currents that, that point to weakness in the economy that I think that the Fed itself is probably just as confused as we are on this call uh, and why they're gonna just take their time. I think the, the, the more pressing shorter term issue, assuming they don't cut in March, is what happens with their balance sheet since the reverse repo facility only has about a half a trillion left, which is quickening the, the pace at which the Fed is gonna have to make a decision on their balance sheet and what level of bank reserves they need to have. Uh, either way, I, I think Powell's worst nightmare is, is a reacceleration of inflation and why he's going to be reluctant uh, to give the markets what they want on rate cuts. Again, unless you see a notable decline in the economy and a sharp rise in the unemployment rate. Yeah. What do you big of the bond reaction we saw today. We did see yields move higher. I mean, we've seen them really spike in the past. This was a pretty strong jobs report. They definitely moved quite a bit, but what, you know, it was funny that you saw equities rally too. It doesn't seem like both can be right. I mean, that's a little bit interesting. Um, you think that bond yields are going to have to continue to move higher against this confusing backdrop? What well, feels like equilibrium here? So, you know, the yields up and th up through Friday, so Monday th through Thursday, yields had fallen this week. Yeah. Uh, we did get a little backup in the short end on Wednesday with Powell. Uh, but I think today's payroll number is just a reminder that rates are still going to stay high for a while. And uh, if you want them to cut, they're not just going to tweak the Fed funds rate just because inflation goes from three to two and a half or two and a half to two. because it's not just seeing a fall in inflation that they're waiting for, it's seeing inflation stay down after it drops. And that's still um, a process to see whether you have that sustainable drop in inflation. Sustainable is a word we've been hearing countless times from a variety uh, uh, of Fed members. I think we, we're in a situation where, you know, worries about debts and deficits seem to have gone away. Uh, but it was a worry last year, but I think it's going to reinforce itself. And whether Janet Yellen wants to sell more two-year notes or three-year notes rather than 10 years, regardless, we still have an enormous amount of treasury supply. Uh, I think the economy is still very mixed where tax receipts are only mediocre. And there's still reason, in my opinion, to see a rise in long-term interest rates, even if short-term interest rates were, were obviously tethered to what the Fed is going to do is going to stay relatively low. Uh, so we did get a nice uptick in the two-year yield today, about, uh, call it 15 basis points. It was almost as much as 20. Um, but I still think that 
the prospect of rate cuts is going to keep that that muted. But I still see the scenario of, of, of higher long-term interest rates. And uh, I'm still pretty convinced that 5% is going to get retested again in the 10-year. Mm-hmm. And uh, chances are we go through that and not necessarily uh, for good reasons. So I think net-net, higher for longer is still here. And well, one of the consequences of that is another hit to commercial real estate and New York Community Bank this week and uh, Azura. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. And so there's still a lot of pain to be had with respect to the adjustment to higher interest rates. And you, um, you, I mean, you read my mind, Peter, because yeah. that's exactly what I was thinking about when you're talking about rates possibly going back up to 5%. That higher rate environment we know has been so difficult for community banks. And we've been talking about that. A few of the guests we had on this week were like, you know, listen, you see, it's not, it's not New York community bank in and of itself, but it's the, it's the reaction, what you see happen. And if everybody it's, it's, everyone's been kicking the can down or extending and pretending until we get to better economic conditions, lower rates, so they could deal with this in an orderly manner. But if rates are back up at 5%, can that happen? Do we see, start to see the cracks in commercial real estate start to, you know, inflict some pain on the banking sector again? Uh, the interesting thing here is that unless you get a vertical rise in rental growth, even a good economy is not going to save your, your building mm. if your interest rate is going from 3 to 8%. And that's the problem, is that we're having trouble, now putting aside office, which has its own secular challenges. Let's take multifamily. Multifamily, the demand for rent, rentals, is great. You know, 7% mortgage rates makes it unaffordable for many to buy. They would rather rent. So good, well-run apartment buildings are high 90s percent occupancy. But if you got too much debt, if you have debt coming due that was priced pre-2022, you're still going to be in trouble, even with a decent economy, even with a high rent roll. So saving you is either going to be you punch, putting up more equity or the Fed cutting rates to zero again, which is not happening. Mm. So this, lo- this lag of an impact from higher interest rates is much more drawn out than I think those calling for a recession last year ever imagined. And I thought we would definitely have a recession when, you know, Fed funds rate goes from zero to five and a half in 18 months. It's easy to assume that you will. But what I'm seeing is, is that this is going to be the, the pernicious impact of that is just more drawn out. Now, interestingly, a lot of small to medium-sized companies that have floating rate debt, well, they've probably seen the worst of it uh, because their interest rates have skyrocketed. I, 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 and I was talking companies whose interest expense doubled over the past year and a half. Mm. But now you're, you're gonna start impacting those businesses and bigger companies that have termed out their debt that is now coming due this year, 2025, 2026, that is gonna reprice at a higher interest rate. Now, a lot of investment grade companies will be fine, they can handle it, but their interest expense will go up uh, in that scenario. So, uh, and, and even today with the market action, it, it wasn't until like this afternoon that the breath on the S&P 500 actually went positive. Mm. I mean, today was one of the more bizarre stock market days with all the money piling into Meta and Amazon. And even you know, Apple uh, came off its lows where everything else was, was left for dead. I think the Russell 2000 
closed down today. And even the, NAS, the NASDAQ, the breath was deeply negative. So it's just these bizarre days where um, if the economy is so great, a lot more things should be rallying, but the economy is more mixed and therefore you're getting a much more mixed uh, stock market performance, but enough to scratch your head and make you even more uh, confused with what the heck is going on out there. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, great point. So I want to dig into that earnings and the conundrum about the the narrow aspect or characteristic of this market. But the the lag, I think this is really important to underscore the lag from that rate adjustment. It's taken so long that people think it's not going to happen. Is that an overly complacent view? Uh, Because I think that um, there is a sense the economy is strong enough to be able to, and we talked about it with commercial real estate, but I think sort of writ large across the economy, as long as the economy is doing well, people think that, that it's sort of manageable. Do you think it's inescapable? Is there a way that Outside of commercial real estate, that rate reset, maybe that pain people can muddle through and they're in a different circumstance. Is it going to be the hit on the economy that everyone thought it was going to be? Because we thought we haven't seen the defaults. We haven't seen the kind of fallout that you might expect. Is it still coming or are, are people weirdly in a rolling way managing it? Well, there, there's no doubt that a part of corporate America is managing it, but that doesn't mean that they manage it and there's a free lunch. One of the, the, the two biggest drivers of profit margin expansion over the last 15 years when we discovered zero interest rates in QE was very low interest expense and very low labor costs. Mm. So while we may weather the rise in interest rates in terms of refinancing for a certain part of the corporate world, you're still talking about over the next couple of years, the highest corporate debt, or I should say total business debt as a percent of GDP that we've seen that is going to reprice in this higher interest rate environment, whether it pushes pushes us into a recession or not, we'll have to see. But I know a lot more money is going to be allocated to interest expense rather than other things. And that's what's going to keep a lid on overall profit margins. In addition to wages, while they've plateaued, it's still an issue for a lot of companies. I mean, I listened to a lot of conference calls over the past couple of weeks and companies said, yeah, my raw material prices are going down. Supply chains have normalized. Well, now they're getting disrupted again if you're trying to get something through the Red Sea, of course. But my labor costs are still very sticky, and that is keeping a lid on my profit margins. So that is still a factor here uh, overall. But we know, at least in the housing market, what what higher interest rates have done is turned it upside down, where you have the the, the level of existing home sales in 2023, low since 1995, but the new build part of the market, that's obviously doing better because of builders creating supply, but also buying down mortgages and 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 uh, and creating discounts. So it's just this very strange market. I mean, even this week, when you talked about, I mean, if you listen to Starbucks, even talked about some moderation in their growth of people buying coffee in Mondelez, who sells Ritz crackers and biscuits and chocolate and Oreo cookies, talking about uh, you know, a, a choiceful consumer and Diageo selling liquor, talking about a choiceful consumer. And then you, know, you see Meta, and which is essentially an advertising company, 
um, doing great. This is and my, this was, is what's so important. Yeah, this is, this is exactly what I wanted to ask you. Um, and, and Oliver, I see your question. It's kind of related, but um, so we have these confusing things, reason for concern. And that exactly your point about meta. Is this a meta execution story? I mean, we know they did a dividend for the first time, or is this a broader comment on the strength of the consumer and the economy? Because they are essentially an advertising company that would normally be a bellwether of a robust economy. And there are going to be people who look at that and say, absolutely. Well, I think it's a combination of those. But when you think about my uh, Facebook said, we're meta said on the call, they, you know, they touch one of their apps touches 3 billion people a day. And when you think about how tethered and addicted we all are to our phones, they have this incredible captive audience. So I, you know, you almost get their, their engagement. Now, those businesses that are advertising on their platform, yeah, they're going to be sensitive to the overall economy. Um, but in terms of effectiveness, when you have 3 billion people looking at one of your apps, it's just scale. Yeah, you look it's at scale. Amazon, yeah. you know, Amazon was up a lot today, but you know, they had 13% revenue growth. AWS is down to low teens, 13% too. Like those are pedestrian numbers, but you know, there's still this, this cult mentality to these stocks. And that's why Amazon, even with a low teens revenue growth rate uh, and, and an operating margin line that trades like an EKG machine from quarter to quarter can trade at you know, 45, 50 times earnings. But interestingly, in this, this MAG-7, well, Tesla kind of fell out, we're MAG-6. You wonder whether Apple has much staying room in this group because they had 2% growth, which after a few years of no growth, but you wonder what the cattle sort of see growth there. Google, seeing slowdown in their advertising business, which is the core of their, mm -hmm. their, their company being searched. Now questions about how generative AI may disrupt their business. If I can search a question on generative AI or ChatGBT rather than, than Google, and maybe we're just left with Meta, Microsoft, and NVIDIA, which the irony of that would be is that in the movie Magnific Magnificent Seven, Ford died at the end. And there was only three left. So I think that that's one thing that um, we should keep an eye out here is whether we're sort of winnowing down uh, the, the, these great seven cult stocks and uh, further narrowing what was an extraordinarily narrow market to begin with. Right. And there's the question of, you know, why do we fear that? So, so Oliver's saying, uh, question for Peter, what do you think about the fact that the overall market didn't care about the unemployment numbers and that rates are probably not going down in March? Nothing gets in the way of the rally when it comes to these tech stocks. How can stocks be rallying and bonds be rallying at the same time? Doesn't one of them have to be wrong? It's a great question. And I, I wish I had a good answer. I mean, on Wednesday, you know, the market was bothered by Powell saying we're not cutting in March. Today, it didn't care at all about the spike in interest rates because of Meta and Amazon. Um, but, but even today, I mean, you had Microchip, which uh, similar to Texas Instruments saying that, you know, and Trump had a company that has, I think, over 100,000 customers in, in automotive and aerospace and communications and, and, and other areas of tech uh, and industrials and automotive saying that business is not good. So um, 
I, I, I wish I had a, a, a good answer. It, it, it's, it, it's scratch your head type behavior and just watching, watching, you know, small caps just die on the vine uh, where a lot of them, like I've said before, and probably on this channel that a lot of these small, medium sized companies advertise on, on meta platform and advertise on Google. And uh, you just, you just, it's hard to connect dots here. Yeah. And, and we may, I know that one of the things that we learned from last year is that, and you mentioned this, the lag from all the fiscal and the monetary, and it's just the, the, the timing is not fitting into any models. And so the signals of strength and weakness, it's hard to figure out which one's the pace car. And if something is just a lagging sign, as opposed to a forward indicator you know, all of it seems a little off based on the, you know, the the sort of information that we used to go off of because we're in such extraordinary times, not to mention we, we remain there because we're in an election year. Uh, and so that's, that's going to sort of, you know, confuse things. So I want, there's a question because I, I want to move into the, a little bit and look at the international picture before we talk about what you like, don't like, uh, because we know you're keeping an eye on all of it. Uh, questions about china i'll pull i'll pull up the specific one in a minute but what are you looking at in terms of china someone was talking about the fact that there was a time when we know the real estate bubble was bursting any headline on evergrand you know sent spooks through the whole global economy that was liquidated nobody seemed to be paying attention to that either what are you thinking about in terms of how china bolts onto this narrative I think the, the key, there are a lot of moving pieces in China as well. Um, you know, I think it's a good thing that Evergrande went bankrupt and is getting liquidated. And a lot of other developers in China are getting um, thrown into bankruptcy and are liquidating. That's how you cleanse. But this takes time to, mm -hmm. to do. I think China's focus right now, it's the Chinese government's focus, is to finish projects that have been started. Give the people that have put down deposits on uncompleted projects, let them get their apartments. And this is gonna take more time, but we are moving through this sort of liquidation phase with a lot of these developers, which I think is a good thing, but it's very painful right now, particularly uh, from not just the construction standpoint, but the value standpoint, because we know a lot of Chinese people uh, have their wealth tied up in real estate. But on the other hand, you look at the Macau numbers and they're doing great. Gross gaming revenue in China is back to where it was in Macau, is back to where it was in 2019. Domestic travel within China is above where it was in 2019. International travel is finally growing again as China is now uh, eliminating the need for visas and they're trying to make it easier to travel. Um, manufacturing, when you look at Chinese manufacturing, well, they're experiencing the same challenge as U.S. manufacturing is and European manufacturing is, but China manufacturing is still a powerhouse. And when the world starts spending on goods again, when the world starts to restock inventories again, Chinese manufacturing is going to do just fine. And the one thing that when you look at emerging markets generally, we had the most aggressive pace of rate hikes in 40 years, and not one emerging market blew up. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Typically, emerging markets blow up when the Fed raises interest rates and the dollar gets stronger. That yeah. didn't happen this time. There is something to be said for emerging markets. Now, of course, everyone's obsessed with Meta and Amazon and Microsoft and who cares about emerging markets. 
But there is something to be said about the resilience this time around with emerging markets. And I think that creates a lot of investment opportunities, which has been, uh, hasn't been seen in a while, and they've lagged tremendously. But I, I think how they weathered this tightening cycle says a lot. And I do think that this year, early next year, the Chinese economy is going to bottom out, particularly with how they're trying to at least ring fence real residential real estate right now. And that would be good for that entire region, uh, which, which, uh, which I think would be uh, beneficial to, to, to markets there as well. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, um, Nick, that was from Nick, and he had a great follow-up question. Um, is China, China's struggles and India's positive performance a reflection of the global or West consumer sentiment? In other words, good versus services. The U.S. spends more on services right now, benefits India, less on goods, uh, hurts China. As long as that's in place, do we see, continue to see India outperform China? Yes, but, but India is also benefiting from its own internal growth. Uh, they're spending an enormous amount of money, trillions of dollars on infrastructure, where, at, where from one spot to another three years ago would take you seven hours. You know, they're building new highways that it, that'll take two hours. I mean, the, the advancements of, of, of infrastructure, whether it's the grid, whether it's the highways I mentioned, uh, the airports that they're building, um, they are modernizing as quickly as they can that country. Plus, you also have a huge amount of young people there that also just creates organic growth as well. So it's not just uh, someone in the U.S. calling the, the airline and getting uh, a, 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 an operator in India that's helping them out. You know, there's real organic growth going on over there that um, is, is benefiting from a few different levers. Whereas China is still dealing with, you know, a debt hangover that manifested itself in residential real estate. And we know there's a lot of debt uh, on the books of a lot of local governments. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's it's so interesting, right? Demographics. Yeah. The, the, and there's been a lot of there's been a lot of reform, too, in India, which has helped a lot. Um, so. We have a, a a question which I really like. It's another, you guys are on fire today. It's a really good question from Jay and Jay. How would Peter express economic uncertainty other than to hold cash while it gets 5% or maybe not 5% now, but, uh, and wait for other buying opportunities? So that's one option. Is there another way that you like sort of holding here through this economic uncertainty? Well, cash obviously always is dry powder, but and a lot of the uncertainty out there too is on the geopolitical side. We know uh, I'm still very bullish on energy. I, I still think oil prices are going to $100. Uh, so that's sort of a you can call that even defensive in a way. Um, precious metals for sure, which I've talked about for seemingly forever. Uh, yeah. still very bullish on. Uh, and just while it's not working, still finding cheap stuff. I mean, one of the ideas that I've been dead wrong on was I was pretty bullish that we were seeing the final phase of the bear market in the Hang Seng, speaking of China. Yeah. And here we are year to date, it's down about 10%. So, uh, but I still think we're, we're about there. 
and you're talking about a market trading at seven times earnings. I mean, you go into a room of 100 people and you say, who's going to buy the, who wants to buy the Hang Seng? Uh, I would bet no more than two people would raise their hand. Uh, but a lot of these companies that trade there are going to benefit from just the growth of Asia, generally speaking. It's going to benefit from the growth of the middle class, not just in China, but in India and Indonesia and Vietnam. Uh, uh, also, and even within China, China's middle class is going to double over the next five years. And they're going to want to travel and they're going to want to buy life insurance and they're going to want to uh, benefit from uh, the trappings of, of a middle class rather than a lower mm -hmm. class. So um, I, I still think looking at a multi-year time frame, uh, it, it's prudent to look at the parts of the market that have just done poorly. And we're all trying to figure out when that turns and it hasn't turned yet. We thought that, the, that, that November, December would broaden out the stock market and people were buying small mid-cap stocks. But it seemed like the calendar turned and that died away. And here we are back to the, you know, the love affair of these cult stocks, even though, as I said earlier, uh, it seems that the MAG-7 is turning into the MAG-3. Yeah, I think that that time frame is just what I was going to ask you. Thank you for saying that, because if you do have a multi-year horizon, you've got a longer runway to think about it. And it's hard, but this is when you want to buy stuff is when it's in the toilet, right? You don't want to buy it when it's rallying. That's a, that's the sort of classic <laughs> advice. It's just hard to do because we always think, is it different? Is there something fundamental going on? Um, Peter, by the way, Tommy Thornton says hi. He's in the chat. Hi, Tommy. Thanks, Thanks for joining for us. Uh, get, get on the platform. What are, you do, what are you doing in that chat, though? I can't even see it because I don't have it up. Brian had to tell me. Um, and Christopher is... Professor Christopher is giving some really good advice from his veteran trading view on the chat on the platform. So if you are not a member on the platform, um, move on over to that chat because there's some really good stuff going on there. Um, so why, Peter, for people who are watching who go, listen, I, I'm exposed to Facebook and NVIDIA in my forum and I'm loving what I'm seeing or in my portfolio. What, you know, what, what's the danger of a market that is so narrowly focused like that? Why is that something that causes folks like you concern? Well, a year ago, we could, or we could have said we're concerned with the narrowness. I mean, that, that was the theme of 2023 up until November, December was the narrowness. Uh, but being a student of the market, we have a hundred years of history that the broader the breadth is, the healthier the market is. And the more narrow tells you that you're sort of closer to the end of a bull market rather than at the beginning. And it's just the history lessons of, of market life. Mm -hmm. And if you assume that human nature doesn't change, this will be another lesson to be learned. And there'll be at some point where, and I like to say this is that, you know, Meta still breathes the same economic air as the rest of us. Amazon still breathes the same economic air. I mean, Amazon at the end of the day is, is a retailer and they have a, a great, uh, you know, cloud service business, but that business is is slowing to a rather pedestrian growth. Uh, I think a lot of it is also psychology and, and that you have a certain part of the market where people just are comfortable in these big names. Yeah. And when you look at the smaller names, over the last couple of years, it's just less coverage. You know, there's some stocks, small stocks that have five analysts where Amazon has got 80 different analysts. And that's just going to draw different attention uh, and, and, and distract people from the rest of the market. But it, it's not healthy, but unhealthy markets can last. 
it's just you you get you're getting even more extreme and if i'm right that this the mag 7 is now just a mag 3 and this is getting even more narrower then we're getting really close to some inflection point here and either the rest of the market's going to catch up or you know the, the, this 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 uh this big cap party is going to come to an end yeah I suspect I, I hear Tommy shaking his head in agreement because he, I know this is something he's concerned about and watches as well. Uh, it's tough stuff. It's tough sledding out there, but um, we love the detail and depth and nuance you bring and reminding us all that there are things we need to watch out for, especially if you have a near term perspective. Very hard. It's recency bias, right? What's been working will always work. That's what everyone gets sucked into and why so many feel kind of trapped and tethered to some of these high flying tech names. Um, it's hard to it's hard to pull the ripcord, but um, it's something we all need to sort of watch out for and make sure we're checking our framework and and not getting swept up in the narrative. So always appreciate you coming on, Peter. Great stuff. Thanks, Maggie. Always appreciate being on. And remember, if you would like to receive Peter's book report, which someone just asked for, uh, go check it out on the marketplace. You can find it now. I think it's on the tab on the left hand side. It's got its own little icon now. Um, and it's the the same analysis he sends institutional trading desk every day real-time data analysis, risk asset positioning, coverage of equities, commodities, currencies, you get it all. Um, and you can get an RB discount. Just go to realvision.com forward slash marketplace. And if you missed it, um, Ral and I caught up today for a really fascinating conversation. We rounded out our education week. Um, this week was, I don't want to call it personal finance in the way you think of it, but it was a personal take on approach to building wealth. Um, really, really interesting conversation with Raul. Someone said it was the best thing they've ever seen on our platform. Um, I found out things I didn't know about Raul, which was really interesting. He was really dishing today. So I encourage you to go check it out and leave your comments. We're going to be doing more of this kind of stuff because we all, we all need help navigating these really tricky times, as Peter just described. Uh, so take the time over the weekend to check them out. Thanks, everybody. Love the smart conversation. You guys are the best. Enjoy the weekend. Take care and good luck out there. Hey, everybody. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Engrave, maker of the coldest hardware wallet, Zero, and stainless steel backup graphene. Engrave brings you the highest security in a touchscreen experience to safely manage all your crypto offline. Enjoy a 10% Real Vision discount in Engrave.io shop with the code Real Vision.